Hey, welcome to our latest edition of What Makes Difference. And we're talking about memories or memory. Memory, yeah. Memory. So traditionally, people tend to think of memory as being the sort of short-term, long-term working memory. Mm -hmm. And you have the working memory, which is like the everyday processing space. Short-term memory, which is kind of self-explanatory. But you've got the long-term memory, which is where your short-term memory elements go for longer-term storage and retrieval. Yes. So I'll give an example of short-term memory and not holding on to what might be considered relevant information for yourself is I was chatting to a couple of people where I'm currently working and they're about, oh, don't you remember this conversation? Don't you remember that conversation? Is that No, it's not important to me. It might be important to you. And this is where possibly people get upset because something that's important to somebody else isn't important to that person. They don't have that necessarily maybe emotional attachment which would make it a deeper memory or more of a long-term memory. So is that about recognising that we each have different access points to memory and what we choose to store is unique to us. Yeah, yeah. And it's our also our perspective, isn't it? So if we're looking at an event, when classic thing would be calling police for eyewitnesses mm-hmm. and people are notoriously bad at remembering the event, what happened, and all that sort of stuff. So you can have 20 different eyewitnesses, but a person involved might be six foot six, or they might be four foot in a fag butt. They may (laughs) weigh 300 pounds, or they may weigh about 20 pounds. You know, the car might be a green sedan, or it might be a Kawasaki motorbike. People's record isn't necessarily that good. Well, that's about, I suppose, the angle you view something from. It literally is almost like the lens you choose to look through. So that comes back to your relevance for you. Mm. And the fact that we all have preferences for different types of access points. I'm not going to, I was going to use the word trigger, but I think access points is more accurate. Yeah. Memory. Well, that's kind of like what we were discussing before is the memory is only a representation of what actually went on, isn't it? Well, the memory might not necessarily be an accurate recall of what went on. It's hmm. just your recollection of component parts of what yeah. went on. Yeah. So there's the what actually happened in the event and then there's some record of what happened. And my understanding is that the only way for a person's memory to be pristine of an event is not to access that memory ever. Because when we do access a memory, it gets distorted to something else. Because when we're talking with Paul Grace, wasn't it? And about the uh, nuclear operation hurricane and nuclear testing, 
the guys were saying, right, they know they knew it was was it a five kiloton bomb? Yes. And for argument's sake, I can't remember the exact distance, but say I think 40 miles away. But as these guys got older, the mushroom cloud got bigger and they got closer to it, if that's correct. Yes, it is correct. Yeah. Which I thought was fascinating mm. because in a way what their brain was doing was constructing a metaphor based on reality. Because you could argue in some sense that that mushroom cloud started to represent something else, which was getting closer and closer to potential outcomes for their experiences, for them, for their family, for for whatever, because when that first happened, that was far in the future. Mm -hmm. With each year and each day that passes, those potential outcomes become closer. So does the mushroom cloud. Like a sense of impending doom, I guess. Or impending possibilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Because when we access our memory, what we're accessing, I suppose, is the component sticky elements that were were flagged for us because we can't store every single piece of information. We'd be overwhelmed if we were, if we tried to. We would, yeah. And what would also go along with that overwhelm is if we're telling somebody a story of open of what we had done and probably mistake is going down the shops. That would take forever and a day because you'd be explaining the breath, the heartbeat, how many steps, doing up shoelaces and putting on boots or whatever the hell it is. It just takes far too long to go in every minutia detail of how we felt, what we saying, what our thoughts were, the process of doing it all. So well, that's why we just gloss over a simple process of going to shops. Yeah, I walk down shops and everybody has a generalisation of, I know what you mean by that. Well, there is there is that, that phrase, isn't it, which we probably all know that one person that can take 20 minutes to tell us they went to the shops. Yeah. Because they fill in a whole host of detail, which to them might be relevant, but to us isn't. Mm-hmm. We, just to know they, we just need to know they went to the shops. Yeah. That's the um, oh, in the Simpsons where Grandpa Simpson talks about onions. Mm-hmm. I think I can't remember the whole thing, but he talks about onions in, in a completely irrelevant story because he knows how long it takes to tell this pointless story, and he knows there's a pointless story to be told. But what also happens when we recall memory, and this this accounts for the change and the distortion over time, is that we take our flagged entry points, but we don't necessarily take the more low-level elements. Mm. So they're like building blocks at different heights. Yeah. And we fill in the gaps to construct the story again. And each time we fill in the gaps, we maybe compress some elements, we maybe expand others. But what that does is when we next put it into memory, it goes in slightly changed from the way it was when we first received Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Each time we reconfigure it, something very, very infinitesimal maybe will change, tweak, adapt in order for us to be able to reconstruct that that narrative, that story. Mm -hmm. 
and it's what, kind of what we discussed earlier is so you've got these building bo- blocks of these buildings and it's got the high points and the flags and all that but on some of them there may be that like a layer of mist that's yeah, in so the way should, do we need to give an explanation of that so we were, yeah, we're yeah. Talking, you and I were talking about a model of memory almost as um, a row of different height of building blocks all lined up and some are really high and those building blocks will have like the flags, the things that are really important to us. Maybe it's our favourite song or a particularly, um, or maybe it was somebody somebody laughing or something that was really funny or something, a bright colour or, or noise or whatever. But those are the flags at the top level, the ones that are really easy to recall because they've got a very obvious entry point into that memory. Yeah. And then under that, you've got like the lower level blocks in between the high blocks, which we might need help to trigger that memory because of that mm. fog or mist above it. Mm-hmm. Which is that experience. So there's a surface structure, there's experience, and there's that really deep thing that, that we're on about earlier is if you wanted to recall the entire process of going to the shops, that's where that really deep structure is. Yeah, the information yeah. may exist there, but you might need some prompt. And that could be from maybe a conversation with somebody else who's had a similar or shared memory, who, who adds in maybe their flags, which allows you then to clear that mist over that yeah. lower level block mm-hmm. and access that because because it, it, it gives you a, a, a sensory input into it. Yeah. And then there's those memories then of maybe like a derelict building as it were is those ones you may not want to access because it's a bit old creepy bit like like the old creepy house and it's probably best way stay hidden of that hidden that way or there's those memories that have been converted turned into rubble converted and some more useful's come out of it yeah so you could argue that the the, the rubble is maybe those that were particularly traumatic for us, maybe that have really strong emotions that maybe lasted for quite a while, but over a period of time, we've experienced growth as a result of that, yeah. or we've found a way to repurpose it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been rebuilt to something more useful. Yeah, it's upcycling. Mm. Mm-hmm. Those derelict buildings you're talking about, those are the ones where we maybe know that there is things linked to that we don't want to go near, we don't want to recall them, we don't want to talk about them, you know, we'd rather not think about them. And that might be about time and placement of, you know, maybe not ready to talk about or just don't want to revisit at all. But they're still there within our memory banks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe some people there might be best off left alone until they're ready to be accessed if they wish to. Yeah, and I think, but I think those sometimes those derelict buildings they're also the ones that sometimes can catch you unawares because you might think that you're avoiding that mm-hmm. until something that somebody else will give us suggest maybe their their association of something else will suddenly find that it's pushed us through the door of that building yeah so that's kind of like when yeah you say somebody's maybe given a suggestion in the meeting or something yeah 
and they've gone, oh, that's opening up an idea for another project that I can do, mm-hmm. yeah, to be a bit more neutral. Mm-hmm. And that, they've gone, oh, that's a really good idea. And that opens up a whole host of other things that could come along with that. Yeah, and that would be that would be almost like that that building that is almost like the show home that you go, oh, mm. cool, I got, I got to explore that. That was really yeah. great. You know, but it's about, I suppose, recognising that sometimes when we find ourselves in these situations, it's because of that sensory input. We can't always anticipate where that will happen, but it doesn't no. mean how to say we have to stay in the building. Because that building is no different from the rubble that we've repurposed and upscaled and upcycled yeah. elsewhere. We just need to to give ourselves the grace and the time and the space to upskill that to mm-hmm. upcycle that. Yeah, so that could then potentially be about self-disclosure. Something mm-hmm. we talked about with um Kim Bond. Mm-hmm. Something we talked about with Tony. And a couple of other people as well about disclosing to yourself first about an event or something that's happened that's bothering that's bothered you for maybe for a long time or and then possibly going to see somebody else yeah and i think the the important thing to to recognize about that is that doesn't necessarily mean to say you have to be in a situation where you you have to analyze the wallpaper of every room oh. where you have to pick up the floorboards where you have to go through that house in great detail sometimes it's simply acknowledging that that, that house or that building is there and yeah. why it's derelict why that's there and you can you can acknowledge that at a distance without having to go into every room you might choose to enter some rooms because there's value to that yeah. But the choice is yours, and you don't have to do it. Well, this is what you were saying, Ali, about people who have had that late or that... When yeah, it comes to have... become an adult, having that diagnosis of being neurodifferent. Yeah, because what happens at that point of diagnosis is there's a, a review of your timeline of your previous experiences in life and now you have different terminology, you have different explanations for why you have responded in that way, why that outcome happened in that way, why you maybe struggled in that scenario or that experience. And instead of it being something that you feel makes you less than, it now is like looking through a different set of glasses. Mm. It brings things into focus from a different angle. And that can be incredibly liberating. Yeah, because it gives you an understanding of that that takes it away from just being about you mm-hmm. and that's also the same sometimes with those derelict houses is quite often being able to place those through a different set of lenses yeah um, takes it away from all being about you it's not necessarily maybe going Entering that building could be looking at it from a bird's eye perspective and having an overview of what went on rather than simply entering into it and going, oh, what happened? It happened. 
well, and I to think make a different realization. That's why I was so fascinated by the by Paul talking about the mushroom cloud and how that that seep, that that got mm-hmm. the acknowledged people got acknowledged that it got bigger in their recollections of it because they have constructed a metaphor there yeah. from a real life lived experience, and that's what you and I do when we work with groups. We we allow the space to explore a metaphor of an experience without pushing you into the building. Mm-hmm. And that means that you get to explore and find placement for that. You get to upcycle. Yeah. You get to put the the adjacency, so you get to put the flowers in the garden. You get to put the, um, take the trash out, put a skip outside. Without, or maybe somebody else can go in and enter that house a little bit and bring that rubbish out. Yeah, and, and you don't actually have to give somebody a guided tour of every room. No. no. And that means then that you don't have to do the guided tour of every room. You can acknowledge mm-hmm. without having to stand in the middle of every single room. You can explore yeah. your thoughts around that, your feelings around that, without yeah. having to stand in every single room. Well, it's creating that, as we're going by building metaphors, it creates that blueprint, isn't it, of how do you want to reconstruct that new building for yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost looking at the structure yeah. of it, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. a very accurate metaphor, looking at the blueprint. Yeah. It's looking at the structure of it, the structure of how we place it. Mm-hmm. And working in groups as well is useful because you can also utilise somebody else's process that may be more useful than what yours is and go, I'll try that on for a little bit. Mm. Well, that's a bit like taking somebody else's glasses to look at your problem and saying, what's that mean? What does that do for the focus? Yeah. You, You literally get to change lenses. Mm-hmm. You can go to somebody, to the person sitting next to you, opposite you go, can I borrow that for a minute? Yeah. See what that does to how I view my derelict building. There is something as well, quite similar to what we're talking about, which you can do physically as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what they call um, clean space, mm-hmm. isn't it? And you can maybe crouch down and take a child's perspective of a problem that you've been looking at or stand on a chair to get a different height looking at a problem or looking at it around a corner. There's a whole host of other variables you can obviously do yourself. And that, again, will potentially give a different perspective of what that problem is. What always interests me about working with clean space is that when you start to place things in your... in the space round about you, I mean, we all have almost like a a physiological boundary, which is our comfort zone. And people's will vary, you know, and they'll vary depending on who we're with. So some people will be more comfortable standing close to us. Some people would prefer more of a distance. And, And that can vary culturally as well. But that also impacts on the wider environment we operate in. And sometimes when we take our descriptions, our metaphors, and we break them down and we place them physically around us. Yeah. 
it forces us to view things literally from a different angle. It pushes us, encourages us to consider different connections, mm-hmm. different elements. And um, this kind of reminds me of one of the NLP new code practices, mm. which is is you've got an event and stand roughly, say, whatever you're comfortable with, say 10, 10 foot away for argument's sake, whatever it is, that comfortable distance is for yourself. Mm-hmm. If that event is too much, turn your back on it and look over your shoulder mm-hmm. and do that diaphragmatic breathing. Mm-hmm. And then until you're ready, turn into the turn into whatever perspective of that event and very, very slowly walk towards it. But again, if that raises some sort of emotion, stop, take your time and breathe in. You know, do that really slow, rhythmic breathing till you're ready again. And before you actually get there, circle around that event and look at it. Again, do that really slow steps, really something to really take your time at. And until you're ready, then step into that event, whatever it is. And just notice that change. What always I always find curious is such a common metaphor that people use to describe things when they're stuck. And it's I feel like I've hit a brick wall. Mm. Or it's like molasses or it's mud. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what they're doing is they're giving a physiological description. A physical description. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Treading water. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now that means that you change the physiology, you suggest movement within that, you get them to have movement within that, and all of a sudden you have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And even though you're talking about a brick wall, you suddenly find that they are seeing and finding and thinking of different options yeah. because they have literally stepped back from the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what working with clean space does as well. It allows you to use your physiology, the physical location, to explore that. Because we all think in different areas. Mm-hmm. So I do my thinking. My thinking is quite far out into space. If I don't have that space in front of me, I find it really difficult to process yeah. information. Some I mean, people I often look out the window as well. Mm-hmm. Go, oh, what's... Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's um, Richard Bandler. And he was saying is he got called in to, I think it was an aerospace company. And this designer, absolutely brilliant, brilliant person designing new aircraft or whatever components he's working on. And they wanted to find out why this person wasn't designing as well as what he was. And he asked him, so where are you, where were you before you got moved into this office? He said, well, I was out there. And he was in a big, vast hangar where they moved him into a little box room, box office. Mm-hmm. So that metaphorically closed down his thinking and thought process where he had a big, expansive place to do mm-hmm. and carry his thoughts through. Yeah. And that that's so important is understanding how 
you as an individual process your information, yeah. where you store it, how you store it, what your your preferences in terms of entry points into your memories. Because that understanding allows you then to manage your location better to get the most from, from, from yourself. It helps you gain skills in terms of problem solving or working through things that maybe you're finding difficulty accessing or you want to change your access point to, that you want a different response to. And that doesn't mean to say that you have to relive every single thing. No. As as we mentioned before, and even if you did relive it, how do you know how accurate that really is? Yeah. Because um it's changed. They they do. And there was many, many years ago was children or adults would go into certain people mm-hmm. and these people were implanting false memories in there, in these children, and their parents or caregivers, whomever it was were then getting jailed for crimes they hadn't actually committed. Well, I think a lot of that sometimes is about assumptions. Mm-hmm. And while I can't, I don't know for definite the particular instance you're referencing, Rich, I would, the assumption I'm making here is that probably those memories that they were implanting they yeah. probably that action probably wasn't intentional. It was probably entirely unintentional, but by the use of language and the the assumptions that they are making mm-hmm. when they're asking questions and shaping, yeah. they're literally pushing memory and recollection in different directions. And if we don't have the the joining bits between the blocks, and somebody else gives us one and says maybe it's this. Yeah, I think it was to, if I remember rightly, it was to do with um, parents or foster parents in the States. And they were given, these children were given a toy and they were asked, oh, where did he touch you? Are you sure, you know, kind of, they're asking very leading questions of, are you sure he didn't touch you here or did he touch, or were you touched there? And going from that, I think it ended up into like satanic ritual abuse. But there was absolutely no foundation as to what was actually being experienced. There was, um, yeah, leading questions were implanting these false memories. Well, that sometimes is a bit of clumsy use of language, isn't it? And the people there, their thoughts, their fears, their concerns mm-hmm. getting in the way. So in a desire to to maybe safeguard, to to prevent risk they're yeah. almost pursuing that not realizing that in doing that the use and the phraseology they're using is literally making that suggestion rather mm. than staying out of that yeah and just exploring simply exploring which is, which is where which is where clean language is really good incredibly because staying out of that person's stuff mm-hmm. so as, as we mentioned earlier you're building your metaphor around what you're doing, and are you or you're asked the questions that are being asked are things like, "What kind of is that?" or "Is there anything else about?" And what happens just before? What happens now? What's happening just after? Rather than going, 
say Sunday's metaphors about a racing car, it'd be asking then what kind of what kind of Formula One racing car is that racing car? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what is that a Mercedes race? Is that a Mercedes Formula One racing car? Mm-hmm. Or assuming location without checking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Assuming it's on maybe on a racetrack when it might not be, it might be parked up in a parked up in somebody's garage. Yeah, or it could be around a rally circuit or a sport touring car, who knows? So it's all about not inferring onto somebody's map or model. It's about getting the evidence of what that person's metaphor really is and what, mm-hmm. what's working for them. Mm-hmm. So in terms of memory, our recall of that is experiential. We experience memory in some way it's part of the recall that's what makes it really impactful when sometimes memories hit us that we are not expecting whether that's um, a random whiff of a favourite scent that takes Mm -hmm. us back to the last time we saw somebody that wore that you know or whether that's something that's that's much more raw for us memory is powerful because it's experiential as you go on about smell, that's the only one, that's the only sense, uh, like sight, taste, touch, is the only one that goes directly into the back of the brain. It bypasses all the other routes into it. So that's probably the most accurate. I'd suggest that smell is the equivalent of your full fibre fiber broadband connection. Mm. It's high speed all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I suppose from my standpoint, if I was to pick out the key points that I think is important for people to keep in mind about memory, that's about the fact that memory is unique to the individual. Even if it's about the same event as a group of people, your memory and recall of that is unique. Yeah. Each time you access that memory, it will drift slightly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it any less accurate or representative of your experience, but it will drift slightly. Different elements will be brought in, different aspects, depending on what's triggered it, who's triggered it, who's helped you access that. And I would ask, how reliable is that memory of that event? I think that's where we have to keep in mind that all memory is subjective. Mm-hmm. Because it is experiential, it's based on our experience, yeah. our interpretation. And that's where sometimes you have these big debates with friends, but it didn't happen that way, it happened this way. And actually, neither of you are technically wrong. It's just that's what you're or right. The, what it is is that you have a different recall of that. Yeah. Because that's based on what was important to you, mm-hmm. what was yeah. critical for you to recall at that moment or what you wanted to recall. Exactly. And that kind of goes back to is what the police used to do. So they, say for argument's sake, is there'd be four police officers and they're there to arrest someone, mm-hmm. they would write down exactly the same as what 
say the arresting officer did. But they couldn't write that down because they're not that arresting officer. And so there was a lot of cases thrown out of court because that wasn't factual what they were actually writing. It was factual from a perspective. And the evidence on recall was too perfect and too identical? Yes, yeah. So then they realised, ah, fact, yeah, we need to write what each individual officer saw and was doing at that particular time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that may well have been done for the best of intentions to make it sure it was, that yeah, yeah. Accurate. But you know that doesn't. But it doesn't reflect how memory actually works. And how, as we mentioned earlier, and perspective works as well. Because if one officer was facing a different way, opposite way to look after somebody else who's in the building, say, they're not going to see what that arresting officer was doing. They may be dealing with something else at that same time. I think this is also important in that sometimes when we have an experience and we are sharing a recollection of something and maybe we're with people who have similar, that's about recognising that in those conversations there is an opportunity for us to enrich our recall of that, for us to access those lower level building blocks because something they say, an experience they might share, might allow us access into something that maybe has been not quite as prominent, not quite as flagged, not quite as easy for us to recall, but they give us the access into Mm -hmm. it. And that's the richness of sharing our experiences of the recall, of sharing those stories, because they give us access to parts that otherwise maybe we we don't recall as accurately. It doesn't mean they're not there. It just means that we haven't got the route in yet. Yeah. So in terms of the conversation, if there's anything to take away, what would be your takeaways, Rich? Because I've shared some of mine. Mm -hmm. The memory is from your perspective. Mm -hmm. The memory is only service deep. And that's if you... But you may need some prompts or help to go to that experiential level, if you so wish, or a perfectly happy or it may be just be perfectly fine to have that surface level memory. Mm-hmm. And yeah, whatever you recall, you recall. You know, somebody else may be upset that you're not recording a conversation you've had, they've had with you a few weeks ago. But if you're not recording that, it may not be relevant to um, yourself. Or such. it may be that you haven't had enough information to provide you the context to allow you a gateway in. Mm. So, for instance, you look at you look at the conversations that you and I've had today, Rich, and I've referenced something that that we talked about a while ago, and you you initially went can't remember, no, until yeah, I yeah, gave yeah. you more context, yeah. and you went, oh right, yeah, now I've got yeah, it, yeah, yeah. yeah, because what I what what that did was took went went I suppose to a different potential stepping block to say mm-hmm. how about this written. Yeah. So sometimes instead of assuming maybe that that person's memory is wrong or you just don't recall, then maybe the really powerful thing is to say, tell me a bit more about that. And that gives you the chance. You're literally saying, help me find another block. Help me Mm -hmm. find another entry point to that that might have been more much more relevant for me. Yeah. And for those wondering, 
it was a topic we may discuss on a on another podcast later on. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. But I think the important thing to keep in mind is that those derelict buildings don't have to stay derelict. No, they can be upscaled. They can be upscaled. They can be renovated in a different way. They can be repurposed. Mm-hmm. And you, you do have the blueprints. Yeah. You can access the blueprints, where that is via some, via the likes of us. Mm-hmm. And that could be through hypnosis, integral movement therapy, or something else that we do. Clean language, systemic mm-hmm. modeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an opportunity there for you to safely find a way to upcycle that building. Yeah. That doesn't require a full exploration of each and every single room. No. That if you're working with us, then that means that that there's also an opportunity, depending on how you want to work with us, to literally try on other people's glasses and other people's viewpoints to work as part of a, a group experience that allows you to exp- still explore your stuff, but still explore your stuff safely. Yeah. And try on something else besides that might help with that upcycling. Definitely. And if you do wish to get hold of us, you can get us at the email addresses above mm-hmm. or admin at abrh mm-hmm. solution dot solutions. Yep. Yeah. yeah, dot solutions. Yeah. Uh-huh. So our contact details are in the show notes. You can find us on LinkedIn, on Facebook. And if you've if there's anything that's resonated with you, particularly from what we've said today, drop us a note, drop us a comment, like and share. Let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. And if there if there's something you want to ask one of us, then do get in contact and we'll get back to you. Yes. Thanks very much. Thank you. <laughs>